BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Diversity Remix, only provocative conversations at the intersection of business, politics, and culture. I'm Charlie Echeverry. And I'm Jesus Chavez. This week's episode, A Supreme Disappointment. In our deep dive today, the Supreme Court's 6-3 conservative majority was supposed to signal a type of judicial groupthink not experienced since the liberal majorities of the court in the 1960s. However, in its early innings, this court has disappointed those forecasting doom. Do ideological and political differences have less to do than we thought in how the justices do their justice thing? And in Courage or Cringe, Bishops versus Biden, Portland riot police quits, and peer pressure alive and well in medicine. Is the recent decision by U.S. Catholic bishops to prepare a document emphasizing teaching that directly relates to Catholic politicians a politically inspired rebuke of a Catholic president? Or is it a doctrinal explanation to an increasingly irreligious country at a time of deep disregard for a core teaching of the faith? Does the en masse resignation of an entire police unit signify the deep solidarity of an embattled police force unfairly maligned? Or does it illustrate the very thin blue line that summer protests last year sought to highlight and eradicate? And finally, is the outing of medical colleagues by a prominent biologist with respect to the Wuhan lab theory a brave decision by a medical professional putting global health over political correctness? Or is it an additional sad example of the damage President Trump caused by politicizing the pandemic? This, and a gift with purchase, this week on TDR. <laughs> did you did you see uh, Bill Maher? Uh, go after, well, not go after, but did you hear what he said about uh, Lynn Miranda's, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda's apology about In the Heights? Uh, I saw a little bit of it. I, so frankly, I saw, I saw more of the headline. I kind of laugh and like it's, it, it feels very Bill Maher, but I didn't actually watch the full video. So I saw Lin, a little bit of it. Lin-Manuel Miranda, I know we don't have it on the show today, but Lin-Manuel Miranda. I saw his, uh, like what he said. Actually, I saw the, the interview. Wait, that wait who did. said? Lin-Manuel Miranda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, I also saw the his interview with uh, The Daily Show where they talked about it. Right, but but so what Mars says because he apologized Lin Manuel for uh-huh. 
having light-skinned Latinos in in the Heights, I guess, or too many. I don't know. There's some for colorism. Yeah, I haven't seen for not having enough enough of uh, of Afro Latinos, darker side Afro Latinos in lead uh, roles within the film. Bill Maher says, "Please stop the apologizing. You're the guy who made the founding fathers black and Hispanic. I don't think you have to apologize to Twitter. This is why people hate Democrats." Maher told his panelists, "People didn't used to grovel and apologize like this." Yeah. I mean, it's it's part of the the. I mean, I get it. Look, I get the argument of. I saw. So I, I'll give you the two options, uh, two versions of this. I get that argument. I mm-hmm. can get that. How could be a huge turnoff? That frankly was my initial reaction. I'm like, oh come on, guys! Like this is the dude. Elliot had the right. exact same kind of reaction. Like, and I haven't watched the film, so I can't even say to what you know. Apparently, how, you're not the only one. But the but the but the issue. So that's one, right? And I can see how that becomes a huge turnoff for a lot of people. The thing that I heard. Um, and it was actually um, uh, the guy, from Trevor Noah, right, mm-hmm. from the Day Show. He said that he was talking about this, some of his staff, and some of which are Afro-Latino. And they brought it up, and he had a similar kind of reaction, like, hey, but don't you think that we're kind of giving like the, sh- the shit to the wrong guy? And also, like, you just got to imagine, like, how hard it is to get these kind of stories out there. Like, shouldn't we be more supportive? He's like, and what they told him, he's like, yeah, we, we agree. The, the reason why we're saying something, I think the reason why people would say something to someone like Lin Miranda is that, they actually think that he would actually listen, that it could actually make a difference because Afro-Latinos are, are so marginalized, are so well, then it's all Latino in, then content. Well, it's all in how you say it then. Right, right. So they, they brought that up and he's like, oh, I love, that's a really good point that I, I hadn't thought about. But I agree with you. I think it's how you say it. Sure, because you, you can complain way, and say like, how dare you? You can have that kind of tonality and then go like, what are you talking about? Do you realize what right. he's already done, how hard it is to do what he has done? Um, and all of that. Or you could right. say, hey, listen, because I think that you would actually be sensitive to this and have the sensibility, right. Right, right, I right. want to bring you into this as like, you know, a partner, an ally, yeah, a, yeah, yeah. a supporter And I think if you this. do it that way, then I could definitely see it. But, but I yeah, think my what, initial reaction was was that I'm like, oh, that's a tough one, man. That's a tough one for for this guy to like have to uh, not just apologize for it, but like get called out on. For sure. But I, I haven't watched this, so maybe it is super. I mean, I always thought about that when thinking about like Univision content. Mm-hmm. I know, you, you know, I'm sure and you the did smiling, as well. The, yeah, the Colgate like the, commercial. Like, like these people are like, who are these people? How can, <laughs> like, why do they all look German? I don't know, but they all live in the same place right, and they wear all the same yellow sweater. German. Like, why, right. why is that? They live right next to the to the dog park with the dog with the sweaters that I always yeah, bring up. Exactly. That's the one. The ones in the Univision spots. Well, look, perspectives and um, opinions sometimes differ from reality, kind yeah. of like our deep dive today. Yeah, it is Which, our deep, where where <laughs> things differ from reality or from what you expect, I guess reality to be. Yeah, it's uh, it, it is. By the way, and you you do this to me every time, Charlie. I, was, I, I, mean, do. I don't even have the episode up yet. That's okay. Uh, in front of me. That's right. We're just gonna. Have, we started talking about. We're that. gonna I'm have just four, glad I didn't, uh, forty-five minutes of me breathing into the microphone. It's gonna be <laughs> awesome. You know what I thought about doing was um, like this is just me geeking out on audio on the quality of the audio, but. I wonder, because you know I'm asthmatic, right? And I use an inhaler. Yeah, yeah, we talked about this. We talked about this before, but like, I wonder what what, what it would sound like if I use my inhaler. I wonder if like, I can tell the difference. It'd be like an ASMR thing? I get, I don't know. I'm going to, I'm going to give that a shot. I'm going to take a puff of my inhaler and see if I can actually hear the difference. We'll see. But uh, Mm. we'll do that throughout. And then (laughs) what I'll do is I'll listen back to it and I'll see if I actually caught the moment where where the voice changed. But um, that was my attempt to buy some time so that you could actually pull up the... I've been ready. You're already there? I've been ready. Born ready. I just had uh, two seconds of delay. Uh, yeah, so in our deep dive today, we thought it would be really interesting, especially with with what's been happening this last couple of weeks with uh, the Supreme Court ruling on on these big cases. Is really talk about the ideological divide 
um, that has been so defining what the Supreme Court should be, but how that narrative has actually continued to not always live up to what the initial definition has been, at least in the past, right? Mm-hmm. So, as or the as, expectation, as the rather, expectation right? of it, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so last week the Supreme Court handed down two of the five blockbuster opinions of this term with rulings on the Affordable Care Act and religious rights. Who determines that these are blockbusters? This is what I want to know. Is there like a legal review a, magazine yeah, that says... I think it's, it's... Part of it is the ones that are going to be there be more, most controversial or could have the biggest impact on things going forward, right? And I think in both of these, Affordable Care Act, it's a really big one because that was a big issue of contention with who could even get nominated and who will get... Yeah, basically, who will get uh, the nomination to replace, um, um, what's her name? I'm blanking on her. Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Mm-hmm. RBG, right? You blanking um, on a name? Come on, it's RBG. Never know, happens. Terrible names. Never happens. On RBG, because there was such a, you know, tie to to what would happen then to the Affordable Care Act as a result of that, right? How so, do you, how, what do you make of the argument, in, in a lot of conservative sectors, the argument huh? is that the Supreme Court, as a branch of government, is responsible for more cultural change than any other uh, branch. In other words, more important is the interpretation of laws than it is the writing of them and than it is the executing of them. Generally speaking, how do you, how do you feel about that thinking? Say that again. It's more important interpretation of law versus more, writing them? It's more important. The, legis- the judicial branch is the most important of the three branches of government with respect to its impact on culture. That's, yeah. that's a... Maybe it's not articulated that way, but that is a sentiment that is oftentimes at the heart of a lot of I, I uh, think right it, of spectrum yeah. pushback. I think, well, some of it is, I think, can be a little bit expected in the sense that when you think about law, mm-hmm. as specific as you may be, law is only as as good as how it gets interpreted. And eventual interpretation almost always when there's any kind of controversy ends up eventually at the Supreme Court, right? Now, I think there's cases, there's plenty of cases where the Supreme Court will then kick something back down and say, hey, that's not our job, that's judicial, you deal with it, mm-hmm. or whatever, or you have other courts, you know, look at it again. But I think that's a little bit of the challenge is that so much as much as I think people try to be very specific about the way laws are written, it ends up being an interpretation. I think it also, going back, if I want to start ranting really quickly, is I think some of this still goes back to how little law as a country we actually, actually pass. pass. And that's my biggest, right, that's one of my biggest beefs. And the more I, I sort of hear everything is going on, there was one that just didn't pass the Senate today, right, which is around uh, voting rights, right, or, or basically vo- voting reform mm-hmm. that is being uh, pushed by the Democratic side of it and on the federal level in response to how states have been basically responding to the, the stop the steal efforts that were obviously, you know, led by by former President Trump. Yeah. But that have also turned into real law at a state level. And There's now, a- right, the federal... And, but the, the thing is, like, that, of course, got struck down. And I'm not even saying that it should pass. I'm simply saying it's just another example of, of posturing. They know it's not going to pass. Yeah. Put it and I think anyways. both sides know it's not going to pass. So it's, at some but point, it, it becomes it a PR becomes, release to both parties. That's my point. And, but, but, yeah. but the end result of that is, yet, yet again, all this energy for something that no law, once again, is passing at a federal level. And I think that... To me, it's part of the problem. Do you right? think there you was at some, some point where the legislative branch was legislative? I mean, now it really does feel like almost like marketing. It does feel like a little yeah. bit like marketing is yeah. more important than, than lawmaking. Yeah, there, there was. I mean, this is why this is where some of the push that we have now. I think having to get 60 people in, in the Senate to agree on one thing is, is really hard. Mm-hmm. It's really, really hard. I think, the, the, I think the, the only shot we would have to really start having a more productive Senate is going to be until we get that supermajority. Right, which mean, it really means that one side of the equation really dominates the discussion. Now, you may have, like in the case of his, if it's liberal leaning or Democrat leaning, at least there it seems a little bit more like you have different views that are very extreme from each other. 
you have super progressive, you have those that are sort of, you know, more conservative liberals, um, like Joe Manchin is the one that comes up all the time that are, are Democrat, but Democrat within red states. Which again is amazing marketing though, in a way, because like everyone's talking about you. It's like, he's For the, him how many Congress great. people can that you name? How many is, Congress yeah. and senators? You know, like four. Because is it all like, yeah, it's been, I mean, he's been at the, at the center of it. I'm sure he, he's loving it. I'm sure well, he's loving it. Well, it certainly, you know, increases your visibility. For that's sure. That's for sure. So, I don't know. That's, a, to me, some of the issue that I see with our current political, you know, system. I mean, it really is frustrating in my mind because with so little law passing, it really leaves it all at either state levels to, to do it. And look, in some ways, I get that every state should be able to make their own decisions on things. But the reality is some of these states, depending on who's running them, I mean, you could have some pretty detrimental things that happen if, it, if there is no balancing act. Part of what I've always liked about our, our style of government is that you have balancing checks and, for, checks and balances. Like, that's a really important thing. That's what it's makes us not be of a, the original a, a dictatorship or anything else. That's like, right. I really like that about it. But it feels like the right now... The legislative branch of, of our of our government is just really hampered down, and and these you know, you know political you know uh, islands that people are sitting on, they're neither are moving. But then in this case, then when we're talking about the judicial and the fact that it actually defies that gridlock well, thing, it's, it's, it's super it, interesting. Then, then right? Why are people pissed about this? It's like it well, seems like it should be a great example. I think of that's the getting things to happen outside think, of ideological lines. Well, that's kind of the the, the, the question here, right? Um, is that when, as these some of these cases or these rulings have come out and you see the opinions and who's actually voting for what, they're not as clean cut as what people were expecting or defining or defining, not defining, defining what that narrative has been set, right? And that is the case on both the Affordable Care Act and religious rights uh, case that both came up, right? Um, there were, of course, and by the way, and part of this is because there were, of course, efforts by the Republican Party and especially President Trump, right, to turn the Supreme Court into a majority conservative, Right. And then there was a response by liberals or Democrats right. who have gone even as far as to demand for President Biden to pack the court, meaning to actually add more court seats in order to balance or even better yet, to push to for a more liberal agenda. Which right? is an argument that's not and wasn't originated that, with Biden. It was it, it, it wasn't, came up right? with but, FDR. But but, but if you start that you can see like there is no like sure. that's a race now, to the well, bottom. Like, every forty time, people we want fifty. We want a hundred. Exactly. Two thousand Supreme Court justices. At that point I may actually get on. And, and That'd it, be my ticket the, for the Supreme Once again, Court. the biggest problem here is that uh, the Supreme Court has not always been uh, as predictable as expected along the same kind of ideological ideological lines. So I think it would be worthwhile for us to kind of talk a little bit about these two cases. Let's do it. And and kind of get into it, right? So first, it was the third major challenge to the Affordable Care Act, right? Uh, which the court ruled seven to two against Texas and some of the other, the other states that were looking to undo the ACC, right? Now, in this case, just to give a really quick background, the states had actually argued that the insurance mandate, which was part of the original law, that became, unconst that became unconstitutional after Congress in 2017 eliminated that penalty for failing to obtain coverage because it could no longer be justified as a tax. They were saying that because of that change in 2017, that it basically meant that the rest of the, of the law should also uh, fall, right? Should be, should be undone. Um, so as a result of one thing that was removed from the bill in order to make it whatever, better, more just, whatever. The right. argument was, well, clearly there was one part that was messed up in it. Probably the whole thing is messed up. Right. And the court came back, no, on the yeah. tune of seven to two. Uh, ten to seven, seven to two. And there, I think their justification was actually pretty straightforward, is that they ruled that the states couldn't even sue. They said, you didn't have anything even to start off with. Yeah. No, uh, as they, that you actually that's received... Called, uh, um, that's called no, no standing uh, ground? No standing, yeah. No yeah, standing. no standing, yeah, yeah. Um, because they received no actual harm from a toothless provision that basically was their... 
only to urge people to obtain health insurance. So because there was actually no ever no penalty, if you recall, the original original yeah. law did have that, right? Did have a penalty well, you, if you, you, you didn't have, penalty, have it, right? If you don't have if insurance, you didn't sign you get, up yeah. for insurance. That's right. a way to get the majority of people to sign up. Correct. Um, so that part was eliminated. And then the reality is that you had a lot of people that actually started using it, started using actually the Affordable Care Act. Mm-hmm. So it didn't really require that, right? Mm-hmm. Now, what's interesting in that ruling of 7 to 2 is that Justice Amy Coney Barrett, right, had jo- joined the majority opinion, which goes directly against what has been the narrative pushed by Democrats during her confirmation, who saw her specifically as someone at that w- that was basically a big threat to that health care uh, law, knowing that that was going to be in this in this ne- next cycle, right? Let, so that's a specific l- example mm-hmm. of someone that was like people were, you know, fighting tooth and nail. I think also because it was the third justice, if you recall, that President Trump uh, got into uh, into the Supreme Court. Probably led most loudly or vociferously by Elizabeth Warren, who at the time was saying, like, literally this woman is going to, like, be a Supreme Court justice for five minutes before ACA is killed. Exactly. And I think the two things that they put on her quite a bit is is ACC, uh, OCA, I'm sorry, not ACA, ACA, and also uh, Roe versus Wade, right? Mm-hmm. But that, I think that one hasn't doesn't come up yet. I think it's, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's next year when that comes up. But but that is a great example of of obviously not living up to that narrative uh, that was there. Who were the, the two that, that were against? I don't, I don't have it in front of yeah, me. Yeah, I'll look remember. it up. Um, there was the second case, also super interesting, mm-hmm. was the case of Fulton versus Philadelphia. Philadelphia, right? Where it was basically uh, a, a whether a Catholic a Catholic adoption agency should be or could be forced to assist LGBTQ couples when such adoptions uh, counter, you know, countermand religious beliefs, right? Mm-hmm. So basically saying, hey, you have to um, uh, provide services to same-sex couples. Now, in that case, the court delivered a 9-0 to decision in favor of the Catholic charity and held that Philadelphia was actually violating the free exercise clause of the Constitution requiring adherence to the city's non-discriminatory policy. Mm-hmm. So another case there is that you know even though there are uh, um, four judges that are that are considered liberal, um, all all of them basically went the what would be considered more of a conservative position, and going nine you know nine and zero versus um, yeah. I do have sorry. I just I do have the two Justice Sam Alito and Neil Gorsuch were the dissenters in that. In the majority were um, Sonia Sotomayor, the, the the basically Sonia Sotomayor, Elena Kagan. And uh, Justice John Roberts, Mm -hmm. Clarence Thomas, Brett Kavanaugh, and Amy Coney Barrett. Right. And Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett were both um, uh, nominees from from President Trump. Correct. But but from a conservatism standpoint, probably Clarence Thomas is the most conservative, and he voted with the, the majority in that case. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, so this other, of course, other case was, you know, complete majority mm-hmm. uh, in favor for this Catholic... Nine and uh, Nine and adoption agency, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, of course, a major win for those that advocate for religious rights, right? And and once again, where perceived ideology did not actually influence the actual outcome, right, of, of the case. Now, what's interesting here is that, you know, as we think about what does that mean as it relates to how people have been viewing the Supreme Court... Is that even with these cases, I don't know if it really completely gives people confidence that we may actually have a more balanced court than, than what maybe initially uh, thought, right? Uh, or that this ideological majority may not have been, a, an, you know, may not have an oversized impact on the future of this country. Why? Is that just the cynicism? We were just cynical? I think like, part of it is cynicism. 
I think also because of what's still pending, right? Right. So there is a case that is... Almost like, oh, this is like what they're giving us for... But now they're going to really whack it to us on some other thing. B- because part of it, frankly, look, we talk about you and I all the time. Mm-hmm. We're encouraged or cringe, right? Mm-hmm. Not that we put ourselves in a Supreme Court case, but there's plenty of cases where we agree for entirely, entirely different, different reasons. reasons. So that actually, that's part of the challenge here is that what they then look at, right? You think about that ACA law, they're saying, hey... Like you didn't even get into the actual the merits of what they were saying. They're like, you don't have a leg to stand on because you were not actually harmed by the, by what you're claiming to be harmed. I hadn't thought about Supreme Court cases in the in the form in the context of a courage or cringe, but fundamentally that's what they are because what they, you're, yeah, they kind of what, are. Yeah. What you're doing is you're ruling on the merits of a given case. Right. You 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 don't get the latitude to well you shouldn't get the latitude to vote on what you think the case should be, but you get like what gets presented to you, and it's a little bit like a math problem. At least it's supposed to be right. Like hey, look, I wouldn't write it this way, but yeah. it was delivered to me this way. Therefore, my thumbs up or down is on this, right? not on maybe some other thing, which if it was worded differently, could lead to a different outcome. For sure. And I think the, the, the part where it then changes is that when people, when there have been times where a case will then like really define or really expand the view of how a law gets interpreted, right? And that's basically what, they, what they're responding to. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so that's why I think there's still some concern. Like an example of a case that is currently being debated is the one from uh, the the uh, I think from Arizona, Arizona voting laws, right? Which is actually very similar to the case that you're seeing in lots of other states, so where they put in these much more aggressive uh, uh, voting reforms. That, but at least the argument is that they limit access to voting for specifically, um, you know, diverse, uh, you know, black and brown, you know, uh, voters and mm-hmm. Native American voters, right? Like not having early voting, certain types of early voting, not having it available on Sundays, limiting, you know, voting to only working hours right. or business hours, right? So that's a case that's currently being debated right now. Mm-hmm. And and I, I was hearing this the other day on, um, I forget what it was. It was one, it was one of the, I think it was the Daily. What was interesting is they were, they were ta- as they were talking about it, like, well, the, the case that they're making there is that does this create restrictions that are really aimed at right, what's black the and brown intent? people? Like, what is the intent? Or is it just so happen to be that it also, that it just impacts them more? And that makes a big difference in terms of how they interpret it, right? Because if it's aimed at black and brown people, then of course it becomes unconstitutional right away. For sure. Now, if the impact is all outside to that community, it could also be pretty quickly unconstitutional, but it's a much murkier kind of area, right, yeah. that they have to look at. So I think that's one. There's still, of course, challenges to Roe v. Wade mm-hmm. that are in the balance. And I think that's probably one that a light bar looking at as 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 um you know when you think about ideology and what kind of where that sits mm-hmm. that could still have a pretty big effect you know but the response you know that you've seen from even um you know I, I had a quote here of a senator Richard Blumenthal from mm-hmm. Connecticut um as you know his point of view in terms of of the Supreme Court and doing or not doing in terms of you know living up to the will of the people. He said, it will inevitably fuel and drive an effort to expand. Uh, I said, I will inevitably fuel and drive an effort to expand the Supreme Court if this activist majority betrays fundamental constitutional principles. It's already driving that movement. Chipping away at Roe v. Wade will precipitate a seismic movement to reform the Supreme Court. It may not be expanding the Supreme Court. It may be making changes to its jurisdiction or requiring a certain number of votes to strike down certain past presidents. Yikes. 
So that's like people are really going to bat. Yeah, they're, they're trying. Well, I mean, I think somebody in this case is engineering what, or, or at least playing a little bit of 3D chess in terms of what the next two to three steps would be if these things kind of continue. But the question for, that I have is sure. the timing of this quote, right? I will inevitably fuel a drive and drive an effort to expand the Supreme Court or some other thing if yeah. this m- activist majority betrays fundamental constitutional principles. Well, when they vote nine to zero and 72, what are you talking about in terms of- uh, This is prior to that. Activist so, majority. Yeah, yeah. This, is, this has to be, I'm, I'm guessing it's really close to the, to the timing when Amy Jo- um, This was like one of those shots across the bow to warn you. Make sure you vote yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Before, as, as, vote, we, guess, as Amy Coney Barrett right. was being confirmed, oh, is what I'm guessing okay, is, is okay, where okay. that, that yeah. quote came from. Okay. Um, because there is a lot of concern, right, with this, what feels like a supermajority um, mm-hmm. conservative and what that actually means, you know, to the to the country. It, it is a really interesting dynamic. It's a couple of other examples. The one that I just saw yesterday that just came up is actually um, the ruling that just did on uh, on the NCAA's rule that is going to allow for athletes to be able to uh, um, to be compensated, right, to, mm-hmm. at least to some degree. So I don't have the specific details on that one, but that one was also nine, a 9-9-0 ruling. A 9-0 ruling, yeah. Ruling, yeah, against the NCAA. Against the NCAA. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I mean, what do you what do you uh, make of this? I mean, on some level, for me, it bears out the fact that the law is not a a kind of a clear cut question of morals or you know ideology in the sense that people want to simplify it as. I think that the limited sense that I have of the law, kind of to the earlier point that I was making, is you're presented with a particular package of argumentation and facts and a thesis that you either on the basis of what supports it can say, yes, it does, or no, it doesn't. And yeah, of course, you're going to operate with your own sense of values and your own sense of of ethics and everything else. But it's a very limited question that you're being asked about Mm -hmm. a very particular thing so that the, what we want to apply, which is people's personality, people's religion, people's, you know, uh, the perception of what they may believe. What we want to apply seems like a very big thing to very, very, very narrow specific things, which these court cases tend to be. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying that they don't have big cultural outcomes as a result of some sure. of these things. They do. But my point is that it's clear to me when I think about it. How looking at somebody strictly on the way that they might have a political ideology does not necessarily map to a right. uh, to a, yeah, a particular yeah, yeah. legal outcome. Does that does this not just maybe validate that? Like I, I'm left very un. The word is nonplussed. I used it finally from eighth grade English. Non-plussed. I'm very nonplussed. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Just like I'm not like moved by this in any one way in a big way. I just feel that this is. But also think that for you, you probably. Mm-hmm. I have a very different perspective just because of your own position, mm-hmm. your own ideologies, where you're less concerned of this wave of conservative perspective that could become across that could really change the shape. But my point is, I'm saying, like, so I think you're, but in these two cases, yeah, but in these two cases, it kind of cuts both ways. Like, you know, on a personal level, would I have voted uh, to uphold the Affordable Care Act? Maybe I would have been in the dissenters. So, like, that one cut against me. You know what I mean? In this, in the case of uh, the religious liberty one, for sure, I would have voted with the majority. In this case, it was unanimous. So, like, but I'm okay with saying the people who I thought, like, in quotes, right. were on my team, didn't vote with me. Like, I'm okay with that on the right, ACA right, one. Right, right, right. Well, yeah. So, I, I mean, my perception of, of, of seeing this is that it actually gives me a little bit of hope, to be perfectly honest with you. Good. It gives me a little bit of hope that, you know, these people that are that have been placed in this position to be Supreme Court judges are looking at 
cases and at least applying, you know, because I think I think maybe maybe the reality of this is, is sort of maybe it's a little bit less about social, even political ideology and more to do with how they individually interpret law, how they look at law, right? Yeah. Whether they're are more of a purist of letter of the law versus intent of the law, right? What it says versus what they think it's supposed to say. Supposed to say, and that maybe maybe really the must the much bigger driver to how these these uh you know cases are being interpreted, mm-hmm. which is, which I'm actually much better with. Like I'm okay with that's the case, right? Because I think that it creates a dynamic where you're not gonna get. Every single time when something comes up, like you already know, like it's going to go the, the right or left. Right I, now, everything right until you get more people I to the agree. left and everything I, goes I, left. I, so I, I think, think that's a really shitty thing to do because then you're not looking at the mm-hmm. merit of the case and what makes this, you know, what, uh, frankly, the one that that, mm-hmm. that I, I really liked, the, even the the sort of the dismissal, the way that they did it for the the ACA, mm-hmm. right? Where they're like, this is stupid. Kind of like, this is stupid. Yeah, you it's a mountain out of a like, Get out of here. Yeah. That, to me, coming from, the, from a majority, I'm like, Perfect. That's awesome. Because then these guys are really are not looking at it not from a political lens, mm-hmm. not for where my yeah political ideology may, may lie, but really on the merit of the actual case. And I agree with and you. And that gives me, frankly, a little bit of hope that, okay, maybe in spite of, because I think the thing that I don't want to uh, minimize is there was a lot of effort, um, in this case by President Trump, to make sure to pack it in. The fact that the that Congress wouldn't even give a forum to look at uh, the replacement, I forget now who, who was at the time was, was getting replaced at the end of, of uh, Obama's um, um, term, term, right? Yeah, it was, it that's a problem. Was, uh, like that, really is politicizing the moment to like really push the court one way or the other. Yeah, and the fact that it hasn't played out all to the favor of more conservative Republican points of view because right. of that, I think is like was I'm glad these guys like have a little bit of that, you know. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not trying. I'm still trying to remember the name yeah, of the guy. Garrett, Ma- something yeah, just, major. There was I, something like that. I, I wish everywhere at all type people wore name tags. Like that just, for me that would be, would be like, amazing. Ideal, I'll remember his ideal. name, but I know what you're talking about. Look, I think anything that minimizes the potential for easy politicization and frankly, being able to forecast something even before it happens at this point is a good thing. I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I completely agree with that. And I think the more that happens in um, in the Supreme Court, I think the better off we're going to be because I think if we look at that as also another political organization, then I think we have, we're have just not in a good place. Yeah. <laughs> Major Garrett. That's not me. Major Garrett's a reporter for Fox. <laughs> it's something like that, though. Oh, it, well, what's that guy's name? You're killing me. Know. All right. the, wrong, the wrong person. So for very different reasons, again, I think we agree on this. Um, I'm actually, uh, you know, curiously optimistic as you are about the Supreme Court. We'll see what happens. But I like when, you know, I like when things are defied. I like when narratives are uh, unspooled and for sure where people get to go I, like, oh, I guess I was wrong about I'm that. I'm very much looking forward to see what is going to be the the outcome of this uh, voting uh, uh, voting uh, case. Merrick Garland. Oh, my gosh. That's it. Merrick Garland. Major yes. Garrett. Close. 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 Ma- These are all people who live very close to one another, okay? Americ Garland lives, lives close to a Major Garrett. This uh, is, I'm sure. This I'm is sure. Like very similar food groups and neighborhoods. But the, yeah, but the voting one, I think, will be, a, will be a really interesting one. Agreed. I think because especially everything that's going on in these different states of, of adding in, like, literally new laws, which, you know, you get into that. That's a whole other We're going to have to talk about that voting thing, too, because there's a lot uh, of uh, commotion around uh, the evolution, uh, evolution versus flip-flopping and the changing of positions regarding ID laws and all this other stuff. We'll get to that at oh, some okay. other point. Yeah, sure. But, but there's there's a yeah, lot of yeah, a yeah. lot of commotion. All right. Uh, yeah. 
Should we move on then to Courage or Cringe? Yeah, let's do it. We how'd got you, some good ones. How'd you like that transition, by the way? That's That was good. Is that good? I like that. Good, new sound effect. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Courage or Cringe. So look, we have some really good ones this week. So I'm excited about all, all of these. Let's so we'll it. try to be... I actually know something about one of these. We'll try to be brief um, uh, in these if we can. Yep. So first one, Courage or Cringe. So mm-hmm. bishops, bishops vote... To prepare document on communion for Catholic politicians to support abortion rights. Mm. Courage or cringe? Um, I know a Catholic politician. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think a lot of, a lot of people do. They may not realize that they, they do, but they, yeah. They may not. You're right to uh, that point. As reported by the New York Times and Apple News and pretty much everywhere, um, this past week, the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, uh, as part of their annual Spring General Assembly, voted and passed a measure to begin drafting a formal statement on the meaning of the Eucharist in the life of the Church. For those who may not know, the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, is the abbreviation is the USCCB, is not a governing body in the sense that they impact the way that the faith... Um, what the faith teaches, but they are kind of a a body of, you know, collegiality in the sense that the bishops who are all in the United States get together to talk about issues and they get to learn from one another. But it's a very important distinction in the sense that it's not like this is the like Congress that decides what happens. Each local bishop, in a way, if you want to think of it from an org chart standpoint, reports directly to like the Pope. Okay. So by the every, way, in that I I, I want to like tee it all up, but I really want to understand that because that is I'll not at all you. clear to me that it shouldn't be how they reading, could do this. Yeah, which it sounds like in a little bit of conflict with the Vatican. Go ahead. So that tell me that that was a starting point. I was very confused about this this, yep. this story. So that measure passed by a vote of one sixty eight to fifty five. Uh, with six, with six uh, uh, abstaining, right? And this is a vote to draft a statement. A vote to draft a that statement, That doesn't mean right? to dra- a vote to approve anything. Correct, correct. correct. A vote to draft okay. a statement, right? Yes. So a proposed outline of the document, uh, including the church, basically including the church teachings on the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, mm-hmm. Sunday as a holy day, the Eucharist as a sacrifice, and worthiness to receive communion. And this is that last one that I think is the one that everyone kind of jumped on. Sure. On that worthiness to receive communion, right? Mm-hmm. But this has this whole thing has already received, uh, you know, has been seen as highly controversial item, mm-hmm. as the document could basically lay out the conditions under which. Catholic politicians who support abortion rights, including President Biden, who was the, the, the politician that you're talking about, may be actually denied communion. Right. Right. And again, some of the way that this stuff is teed up, you may, it makes it sound like these a lot of these things are new. They're they're not. And the the denial of communion to people who are um, you know in in a state of manifest. Um, uh, rebellion against the church, let's put it that way, openly is something that's happened before, certainly right. throughout the centuries, and even recently, and even with Biden. he's all, it, it didn't happen in his home state, but it's happened actually before. I think a priest in South Carolina denied him communion one time because yeah. he knows most of the time when you're a priest or a deacon, um, you know, giving communion out or even a lay person, because that can happen, you don't know the person who's receiving communion, right? right? The right. law of the church says that everybody should receive communion and, and, ha- and be in a state of grace. Like, you should shouldn't be sinning and receiving communion. Doesn't matter who you are. But in certain cases, like what you say and do, everyone knows. Like that's the that's the case with politicians. Right. I don't have to but know the as, inner as, workings of your mind because you just no, publish I, how I, you feel. I, I get that, but I think so that's a tricky a, part. It is a tricky part. The whole thing is very tricky. But as a general practice, yeah. it's not one that at least historically, uh, people at least that I know of, the politicians mm-hmm. have been in any time sort of punish for their views, even if those views happen to not coincide with the church, for those that are religious, right? Um, like, 
Not not 100%. I mean, that, that definitely has happened throughout the ages and in a variety of different Maybe, countries. I'm not talking about like, yeah. you know, other, other centuries. I'm, recent, I'm talking about like in recent yeah. history. I, in just, recent, I just don't remember this. I mean, I'm talking up. in very recent history. This issue has been uh, been talked about in Vatican circles for at least the last 20 years as two things have happened. Number mm-hmm. one is the ability and connectivity of the world has increased to the point where everybody knows what everybody thinks about everything. Sure. And yeah. at the same time that the... Um, pro-choice position has gained significantly more mainstream traction than yeah. it has. Those things have happened to bring this to the fore in in a very specific way that the Vatican has been looking to specifically, or, or the Vatican has been involved in consulting with the bishops mm-hmm. to specifically address. So I give you that in the last 20 years, this is something that maybe has taken on a particular greater resonance, mm-hmm. but it's something that has been happening for 20 centuries. Right. So, um, but go ahead. So in looking at this, you also mentioned that it's also it's a measure that has been opposed by the Vatican, mm-hmm. which warned that such move would be deci- divisive, right? So far, and maybe as of when I wrote, when we looked at this, I think it was yesterday day before, Pope Francis hasn't, has, hasn't really said anything about it. He has stayed silent on the matter, right? Now, in a piece by the New York Times, they framed the issue as a huge divergence from the Pope's agenda, right? So this is what they said in the, in the article. Uh, the divergence of the conservative American church from Francis' agenda is now so apparent as to become unremarkable. And Vatican officials and experts said Saturday that the Pope's silence also underlines just how unsurprising the U.S. vote um, made public Friday was to the Vatican. The deeply conservative American bishop conference has already flouted a remarkably explicit letter from the Vatican in May urging it to, uh, to avoid the vote. It has disregarded years of the Pope's pleas to de-emphasize cultural war issues and expand the scope of its mission to climate change, migration, and poverty. Um... You know, the, the silence by the Pope and their Vatican office may also reflect, you know, their confidence that this that this uh, American conservative uh, will never actually pass such a doctrinal declaration on banning communion, right? Mm-hmm. At least to those individuals. Now, church law says that for this to happen, the bishops' conference will need to either have unanimous support, which is really hard to do, apparently, or two-thirds support and the Vatican's approval, which it sounds like, at least from what the way that it was presented in a couple of different pieces, that the Vatican doesn't seem to be on the same page as, as, as the bishops, right? Yeah. I think the big—there's the, so much here. We could do f- 50 hours on this. Right. But part of the big problem, uh, the archbishop here in Los Angeles is, is a man named Jose Gomez, and he happens to be the president of the USCCB. Okay. They wrote—you know, there's—they rotate that— that presidency, I think it's a two-year term. And generally, the vice president of the council becomes the president the next time. And, you know, it's largely ceremonial, but it is like mm-hmm. ahead of, of, that, of that body. He actually put, I think on Facebook, or maybe it was a tweet or something, but he basically said that we have to resist the temptation to view the church in political terms. And this could not be more true, because when I hear, you know, I, I mentioned to you on a show earlier that when you come across that subject in a news article that you're an expert in, and you realize like everything wrong in the article, mm-hmm. it then terrifies you by how how much is probably inaccurate about everything that's out there, right? <laughs> and that's how I feel about reading stories about yeah, this, right? Yeah. It's just, there's so much, and it's not a question of being malicious. Nobody's trying to be mean. I'm sure that nobody's doing cloak and dagger stuff. They just don't understand it. And so they're trying to frame this in this, in this conversation, right? So I'll give you an example, right? The Catholic position is one that defies political you know, uh, identification in our American context. Maybe there's some country I don't know about where it's like right down the line perfect, but not here, okay? Because the Catholic position is clearly pro-life. Anti, let me be more specific, anti-abortion, okay? Pope Francis is 
anti-abortion, 100%. I don't care how much climate change stuff he publishes, he's right. anti-abortion. Mm-hmm. The church is also pro-environment, climate change. There is a uh, uh, an encyclical that Pope Francis wrote called Laudato Si, which speaks specifically for the stewardship of nature and the environment, and that isn't anything new. You can go back and look at documents that are 1,500 years old when we're talking about the stewardship of the environment. So we're kind of environmentalists on that mm-hmm. side. The church is also against the death penalty, right? So it, it def- and the church, when you look at something like its its teaching on immigration as an example, sure. the church teaches that countries have a right to regulate their borders, but people have a right to move wherever they need to make a home, even if it's not in their own country. So they're on the, and to, and by the way, that applies to every everybody, every bishop. Now, still people are people. So somebody may want to emphasize more things. You know, sure. Pope Francis's emphasis, at least to the extent that I, I know it based on what he's written, his emphasis is on solidarity, on people coming together, mm-hmm. on, on, you know, on, uh, you know in, in the Bible, it talks about telling the truth in love, and you're supposed to do both. Tell the truth, but do it lovingly, right? And there's people who can, maybe the bias is on the truth, like kind of, hey, man, this is the way it is. Mm-hmm. And then other people who are like, the bias is on the love, where maybe I'm not worried about telling you exactly what it is, because I just want to make sure you're cool. Right. Um, so people fall on different parts of that bias, but yeah, what's yeah. true about all the bishops is that they all agree with both, just to different degrees. There's not a single bishop in this USCCB, because that's one of the things I read about like a conservative bishops. Not a single one of these bishops is pro-choice. Not one. Not one. Not one. All of them are pro-life. Yeah, Every yeah one but I think what, what that really speaks to more, uh, I think it's a different level of conservatism. Right. Conservatism. Um, yeah, potentially. Or, or, or an emphasis, right? Right, where maybe right. Maybe that, that like emphasis. Where you fall on that spectrum, right? Correct. Because to your point, even a liberal... Bishop is probably still has some positions that are in most cases will be seen as very conservative, even well, the most liberal of, of them. Well, yeah, and again, but even that conservative liberal is a is a political frame, right? So the, you, the, you you might say more a, a you might find a bishop. Let's take um, Archbishop. Um, I'm sorry, Cardinal of Chicago. The Archbishop of Chicago is a guy named Cardinal uh, Supic. Mm-hmm. You you or Kupic? Yeah, you may. Um, he is a guy who still pro life still, you know, um, all the things that I mentioned earlier, but his emphasis is on maybe more about welcoming the stranger, on immigration, on things like that. So you won't catch him in the pro-life conference or maybe on a show that's just talking about the pro-life position from a Catholic standpoint. It's kind of not his area of emphasis. It's not his favorite shirt. But if you you read what he's actually written— He's yeah. pro-life, like not, you know what I'm saying, right? So like that's the conundrum of Catholicism. But we're but in everything I read, it was like just really trying to put it into this package of it's con- it's a conservative versus liberal thing, and it really just is not. Well, yeah, I mean, I I I, I definitely get your point in terms of the totality of the faith being not being able to easily put it as either 100 percent conservative or 100 percent liberal, right? Mm-hmm. The part that I don't find like you lose me immediately when you say that the church is not a political organization, because mm-hmm. I guess it really depends on how you define a political organization. Sure. It's not a political party, but it has tons of political influence. It acts like a political organization. It has bylaws, the things sure. that it decides it has to do. Law. The, it has the, yeah. the things that it to have a direct impact on individuals, on mm-hmm. on laws. We literally just talked about a Supreme Court case that directly impacts. And in some way, if you want to take the, the the contrarian point of view, that it actually undermines individual rights of treating people like not discrimination because you're 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 putting the right of people to observe their own their, you know their own faith as higher up. So it does have all this political mm-hmm. influence, both within its church and then outside of it. 
So that's why I have a heart. Like, well, I've heard me, that before, but but like, me, I, I me, always struggle when I hear that that statement because I don't know how I, I how you don't look yeah. at it as a political let, organization. Let me qualify it. It does have elements that are definitely political. On the on at the very starting point, the idea of politics is activities that are associated with the governance of a country, right? So that's like right. a, a core definition, and a lot of people don't realize this, but Vatican City is a country. It is a sovereign nation. So, and the Pope is a head of state in that regard. So, no mm-hmm. question that there is a political dimension in a true sort of strict sense. The kind of politics you're talking about are influence, kind of brokering for things, and no question that happens too, both good and bad, sure. because there's human beings, right? It's an imperfect place. Um, So that definitely happens. What I mean by it is that it's impossible to, maybe in a partisan way or a political party way. Right, right, right. I I agree with that. Because the platforms... Fully peg it on one side. Right, because the platforms of at least, again, this is the other thing about the Catholic Church is it's universal. It's in every country. So we always think of things as Americans first. (laughs) So it's like in the American context, we've got Democrat and Republican. Yes, there's some other parties, but like they get 3% of the vote. So you've got Democrat and Republican. And if you apply the Democrat and Republican platforms to Catholic social teaching or Catholic, you know, teaching in general, you're going to be disappointed. Mm Mm-hmm. You're just going to come out disappointed, which is what leads me to my old little talking point. Whenever I get asked about it in religious circles, I always say I don't look left or right. I look up because that is the Catholic position in a true sense. But anyway, yeah, no, that, that makes sense. I mean, listen, look, without further ado, I mean, really, when we think about the courage or cringe, and I'm trying to think about the right way to say this, but... I think the way that I sort of look at the two versions of this, once I get the caricatures of of this argument, is one is it about reestablishing the importance of the Eucharist for Catholics, regardless of what role, whether they're president or whether they're, you know, Joe Blow, doesn't matter. Or is it more of a case of identity politics now seeping into the church and further dividing it as a result of it? Mm Mm-hmm. So, lo- love to hear. I mean, this is an area that I was really looking forward to talk to you about. Yeah, so and I think, say about I think that is the courage or cringe, right? I think the courage or cringe is on one side, you've got this sort of the, the, the USCCB voting to, dra- to, to begin drafting, not even releasing, but voting to, to do this kind of deeper doctrinal explanation on what, is the, what, what the church teaches is the source and summit of the entire faith. Like, mm-hmm. it, there is nothing more important than the Eucharist, okay? Sure. So, and when you ask, uh, the average Catholic, what you know? Tell me about the Eucharist. It's pretty disappointing answer. Most Catholics don't believe what the Church teaches about the Eucharist. There's a lot of lack of knowledge and awareness about it. So there's every good reason why you would want to increase knowledge about the Eucharist, even though there's 2,000 years worth of teaching on it. Still, it's about this time and place. Maybe needs a different approach. So I- I'm all for that. Mm-hmm. But I also think it's impossible, impossible in good faith, to say that. Some part of this is not the fact that we have, for the second time only in American history, a Catholic president. A Catholic president who completely uh, um, does not support a number of Catholic uh, teachings, right? Mm-hmm. Specifically on the question of, of reception of the Eucharist, the, you know, uh, gay marriage, abortion. So he's a Catholic, but he opposes what the church teaches, and he does it from a pulpit that is so powerful and so visible that the church has to notice that, and then they do. So like the part that like, oh, this has, if anybody's saying this has nothing to do with Biden, that's right. that's not correct either, Okay. So, you know, so... Well, you know, what's interesting t- about that t- statement, t- though, yeah. is that it, to me, is like the kind of thing that I hear you, but it also is exactly the reason why people had a lot of concern mm-hmm. with JFK becoming president. They're they like, did. is the Pope not going to be controlling JFK? That's right. 
and when you're telling people, this is the part when I when I read the, when I when I heard the sermon, like oh, like we're literally are telling this guy like what you can't do. Otherwise, like you're not to some extent walk up more like can be fully embraced as a Catholic. Mm-hmm. That's that's crazy, man. That's and even and I I get the conundrum. I get because at the same time, like it is like the beliefs are what the what they are. Sure. But when you're taking such a public stance that you put your to your to your point is mm-hmm. like it has to be at least by some degree driven by him, then. As voters, do we then think about next time, hmm, do we really want to have another Catholic president? Because yeah. depending on what they do, they may be out of step because they're more in line to the will of the people that may be different than what the church's will is. Yeah. And are they going to get sort of course corrected, sort of whipped back into shape, and then right. all of a sudden the will of people goes downhill because of having a Catholic president? Basically, we're better off not having Catholic presidents. I mean that 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 is the the type of sure of, that's a of, simple way to think, but yeah. super simple way to think. But yeah. like what I'm saying that that's what I what I thought about it. It reminded me of the not remind me. Here's, here's, here's but the JFK the thing is like the one that kind of came. But up. it's kind of the other end of that spectrum because the thing with JFK is the Vatican is going to control JFK, which wasn't true. In this case, it's the president doesn't care what the Vatican says. It's completely the opposite. Well, well, yeah, but by doing, but but see, but but this is like a now, like let me get you back into shape because it's one thing that Correct. that to be public in terms of his stance, his political agenda mm-hmm. doesn't line up with 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 the church. But I think no one, I would have never thought that the that the church will come up publicly and say, hey, for those that oppose our you know ideological agenda, then we're gonna also withhold. Part of what being Catholic is, which is, you know, literally the body of God. Literally, the, you will not have access to the body of God Correct. because you are public about your stance that right. that is that that goes against our view of. And well, see and what I'm saying, like, of like, course, and that's and it, that's it, a way to you know for sure bring someone that, back. But that is, and that is, in fact, a very kind of shocking uh, statement to make. But it happens to be at the very heart of Christianity itself, and it's been around for two thousand years, right? When we read in the New Testament, when Saint Paul says, "If you don't discern the body of Christ as you have communion, you condemn yourself," like you right. condemn yourself in doing that. Well, that was you know twenty centuries ago, and the idea that people who are sinning, myself. I'm not a politician. I'm not the president. If I'm in a state of mortal sin, I should not be receiving the Eucharist. That's what we have confession for. You go to confession, and then you go receive the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. And any bishop would say the same thing to Joe Biden. Go to confession, confess your sins. In this case, we happen to know your sins because right, you're, because they're, you're, because they're, they're public. They're part of your platform, yeah. Right, they're part of your platform. So go confess your way, sins I, and receive the I Eucharist. I've never heard you say courage or cringe. I'm, I'm waiting for oh, you. Oh, to... sorry. So no, I, I mean, I'm courage on this because I think that the, the idea of actually clarifying the teaching is something that outweighs the potential discomfort of one or two individuals in, in public office. And I think it's important for us to understand if it, this is a central tenet of the faith and it, it, all all um, corrections by the church are medicinal in nature. The idea is to save souls. The idea is not to embarrass people. The idea is to bring people into the fold. And that's why, like, you know, the shepherd has the hook on one side and the little stick on the other, because, like, sometimes you got to jab the sheep to get them to go back into the little, in the corral, sure, right? Sure, But the intent is to love and to heal and to, and to bring people together. So it just happens that it's a tough teaching. Look, uh, you know— Jesus said it's going to be hard. It's the narrow way, right? You got to, this is not easy. It's not for the faint hearted, right? That's, that's, that's what, that's what Christianity is. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, this is what, what we believe and clarifying that belief and clarifying in the context of people who have a public position to the contrary, I think is a unique set of challenges in 2021 that didn't exist in 1320 or the year 800 that needs to be kind of clarified because that's what the church does. So, I'm courage on it. I don't. Th- I, I, I again. I add the little note that, of course, Biden being president has some level of this. 
One last point I'll make on this, and mm-hmm. that is that, you know, according to what the church teaches, there's only, uh, you know, Biden, the, the people involved are Biden, the Archbishop of Washington, D.C., DC which is a guy named Wilton Gregory, actually one of the only African-American bishops in, in the mm-hmm. U.S. side of the church, and then the bishop of his home state in Delaware, where he also resides. Those are the people that are material to this, because those bishops, again, the USCCB has no authority over Joe Biden. Only those two bishops are his shepherds. And so the USCCB can say, hey, here's how we believe this thing should go. But if those bishops decide to take him aside, which is what that letter says, the one that says that the Vatican rebuked him, that's actually not the case if you read the letter. The letter says, if you're going to do this, you should do this in one, in two ways, two stages. Step one is all of you come together to understand what this is that you mm-hmm. want to achieve. And step two is let the people who are actually part of the, the bishops that are involved here have a private conversation with the people that are, I mean, Biden's not mentioned, but right, the right, politicians right. But that are in yeah. question, and then have that, if that is, works, awesome. If it doesn't, well, then you take the steps that you could have taken, you, but, but you, at you least should the, take. Well, but, but, the, but the, the, if, if this works is awesome, at least, maybe this once again, it could be a case of just being reported incorrectly, but it did seem, at least from what I've read, that it talked about the Vatican seeing this as a divisive move. And yes, actually recommended not yeah. to do it. it. That's not that's not the case. Not that they didn't recommend it. What what they said is mm-hmm. the formulation of a national policy was suggested earlier. Was suggested in 2019. If it would it, um, was suggested during that visit, if it would help the bishops to maintain unity. So said you should do this. This congregation, the person who wrote the note, is the person who leads the congregation for all the bishops out of Rome. Right, says that notes that such a policy, given its possible contentious nature, could have the opposite effect and become a source of discord, which is true, right. rather than unity within the Episcopate and the larger church in the U.S. Thus, we advised during that visit in 2019 that the effective development of a policy requires that dialogue occurs in two stages. So they said, hey, you don't want this to be a point of division. Therefore, if you do this, right, do, do this. it this way. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. it wasn't like, don't do this. Don't do it but, at I, all. but I think okay, that it's, that's a, the fair, way that it it's was, a fair okay. misunderstanding, though. So, yeah. So, in, in looking at this one, I am um, 100% cringe okay. on, on it. And I think for a number of different reasons. I, I actually was like, I was thinking about this one a lot. I think one I've kind of already said, right, which is I, I, it's really hard. And I understand your perspective. Um, I understand I understand the perspective here of, of these bishops who are saying, hey, regardless of who's in power, who isn't. We don't look at political parties, political systems as how we should be operating. We should operate because we're based on a higher calling. I understand that, but there's also real impact to what is happening inside of the, inside of these churches, and mm-hmm. it's really hard not to think that this move is not going to further fragment the church uh, because it feels like it really is becoming more politicized. And for a church that, frankly, is going through um, a massive exodus. That at least based on what you see, the trends doesn't seem like it's turning around anytime soon. I worry that this is a move that can really undermine any kind of if, if the goal is to bring people into the fold, I have a hard time understanding how this helps people bring into the fold. Now, maybe you could say, like, if I want to take a very political lens to your point, like if I if I put a political lens against a, a religious institution, mm-hmm. I would say maybe the political lens is actually is to bring people in the fold, fold people that are already much more conservative that maybe have fallen away from the church. They'd be like, oh, great. These are actually they're on our side. Less coming coming in. And I guess we could sort of think about it that way. Maybe potentially. So like maybe it becomes a little bit of a recruiting tool for those that are much more conservative. At that point, I think the danger, even if that is a successful strategy, then the church also starts to feel and operate 
because the church at the end of the day is made up of its people, much closer to what a, a one side of the political party may look like or not. I think for everybody else, it just it, it's, it's hard not to think of this because of your point, because of who's president and who's there as it feels very targeted. And it makes it so that I think the it gives another reason why for those that are maybe a little bit on the on the edges or in the outskirts mm-hmm. to have a much more harsher view of the church, much less likely to want to be involved with it, and probably creates those that are thinking about it to actually remove themselves from, from the church. So I think the end outcome ends up being one that I think is going to be, I, I don't see it as a good thing for the church at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I feel like it, it is feels much more political even if that's not the intent, you can think about intent versus versus sure. versus outcome, mm-hmm. and so for all the reasons why why I don't like them doing this. Cool. Well, we we have to do a follow up. I know we got to get to the other episode, the other parts of Courage or Cringe, and so not make this a two hour uh, episode. But I think a lot of it rests on your understanding of what the church is. You know, uh, physical, organizational, spiritual, like kind of what your view of ecclesiology is. Like you know, that's a big part of it. And the second thing is a recognition that you know the Catholic Church is a sign of contradiction and has been since the very beginning. It's sort of the opposite of popular culture, right? It's come mm-hmm. in and out of, in certain countries, it's been entirely wiped out. It's been forbidden. You know, look at what happened in the Soviet bloc and all this other stuff. So it's died out and resurfaced in other places. Right now in the global stage, it's super huge in Africa. It's super huge in Asia and diminishing in the West. Yeah. But on an absolute basis, you know, from a number standpoint, which isn't how we should think about it, but from a number standpoint, it's about the same, 1.4, you know, 1.3 billion um, adherents. Right. But, the, but the important thing is that, you know, it's supposed to be about things that are the truth and the gospel, even though they may not be in accord with what the popular and, culture and I think there is some, says, probably you know some I mean? level of, of, of cycles that you see here, right, mm-hmm. that happen. But I think the, 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 the reason why you know, you may be seeing some of this drop off, I think are very different than in than past moments in history, right? Which oh, may be well, sure. more yeah. driven by, you know, a new regime coming in, like political, like literally governments who like will ban it, et cetera. Now we're talking about people that are, it's not so much about, I think when you look at the people that are just not religious at all is what where it concerns me, right? There's like right. a growing number of nuns, right? I think what they're Correct. And, and when you think about the Catholic faith, even for those that decide to still be sort of faith-based, like you see that going to some of the other faiths and, and I kind of put it like in a really simplistic manner, you know, like the whole thing of like if a tree falls in the forest and there's no one there to hear it, does mm-hmm. it really make a sound? Mm-hmm. And this would be a case that even if right, are you putting in a situation where you already are, you know, having mass exodus? How does this help accelerate or not? Because if you if you even lose the opportunity to engage them, then what? Right. Even if you're right, yeah, like that's that's the, that's the thing. And that's precisely why the wisdom of the church says that these pastoral decisions should happen between the bishop that corresponds to you as a person, and it's not administered by a larger body, right? So the USCCB is a little bit of a head fake because. It's a it's an association of bishops so that they talk to one another to kind of know different things that they might want to apply there. But again, I go back to exactly what you said. The, the need to be pastoral to a given person at a given moment is what takes precedent. People are individuals. And, and that makes sense. But, but don't you think that that makes the movie even more cringe to talk about it in that forum, in that way, rather leave it to the individuals and the bishops for like... Like, look, I, if, if I the will, bishop in, in mm-hmm. Washington wants to speak with, with President he Biden... He may already have. Maybe he has or he has it, but like he will have an opportunity to do so. Like if 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 that wanted to be the sure. case, I'm sure there will there will be a way to broker that conversation, to have that discussion in a private manner, mm-hmm. and to say, hey, we have this conflict, sure. and, and here, see what I'm saying? Like, you know, you that, know that, that can be handled privately you know, in a way that agreed. still get to that kind of outcome agreed. without. Yes. 
turning now into the the political sphere, which is basically what this has become. Yeah, I, I, I guess I would say that if the document, let's assume the document gets drafted, and then let's make a further assumption that it gets distributed, neither of which we know. But if it does, and it does, drafted and distributed, and doesn't mention that the proper authority to contend with an individual issue is the what's called the local ordinary or the local bishop, then it's a cringe to me. But if but we don't know. The absence yeah. of that. It's just that the simple drafting of it already the reason we're talking about this is because this is sure. not bubbled up into that sphere right. of political conversation. And that's uh, But it's a time or place thing. I mean, again, I can show you sixteen hundred documents that already address this for the last thousand years. We're just talking yeah. about readdressing it in this new context of twenty first century America. Right. right so it's right. not like that's we're making uh, yeah, something yeah, yeah, yeah. up. It's yeah, not, yeah, no, yeah, I, yeah. I I agree with that. Yeah. I'm not not even claiming that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, all right, I think we're going to talk about that one for at least another couple of But that of hours. was fun. But that was a good one, yeah. Oh. Um, so our next topic, uh, Courage or Cringe, entire Portland police crowd control unit resigns after officer indicted on protest assault charge. Sounds like a problem. So, uh, yeah, as reported by ABC News, members of the Portland Police Bureau's Rapid Respo- Response Team, a police unit focused on crowd control, all resigned after a fellow officer was indicted on an assault charge stemming from an alleged illegal use of force during the protest last year, mm-hmm. right? So the team consisted, consisted of about 50 officers. Um, however, being part of this team was actually voluntary. And while they've all quit the team, the officers will remain on the force and continue their regular assignments, right? So they, they're not, they didn't quit the force altogether, just the specific team. Now, that mass resignation came a day after a grand jury indicted Portland Police Bureau officer Corey Budworth on one count of fourth-degree assault, a misdemeanor for what prosecutors allege was an excessive and unlawful use of force during a protest in August of 2020. So this was a lot during the, yep. the George Floyd protest. Yep. Um, he is accused of striking a woman, Terry Jacobs, in the head with a baton. Mm-hmm. Now, the police union said that she was interfering with an arrest mm-hmm. when the officer struck her and they, they struck her by accident, right? Mm-hmm. She has since also filed a civil lawsuit against the city over her alleged physical and emotional injuries from the incident, which was settled earlier this year for $50,000, right? Now, in announcing the indictment, uh, Molten, I can't even, I can't even say this word, Multnomah, yeah, I guess, Multnomah County District Attorney mm-hmm. Mike Schmidt alleged that no legal justification existed for Officer Budworth's deployment of force. When the line is crossed and a police officer's use of force is excessive and lacks justification of the law, the integrity of our criminal justice system requires that we, uh, as prosecutors, act as a mechanism for accountability. Right Now, according to the acting chief, Chris Davis, he said during a press briefing that the Bureau, including the members of the rapid response team, have been under a tremendous amount of stress due to the coronavirus pandemic and in the wake of the murder of George Floyd, during which he said Portland saw over 150 nights of sustained civil unrest. And as you recall, like Portland had a bunch of protests that just kept on going on and on for a very long time. All 150 that, days, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, 150 nights of, 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 of unrest. All that being said, as your police bureau, we are committed to providing the community the best service that we can. This does not mean that we will not respond to, to in public order situations. Mm-hmm. We'll use the resources that we have, right? So, did you Kurt, see? Did uh-huh. you see the video of his of him speaking? No, 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 no. Of the of, of, of the, the actual incident. Actually, no, I didn't. I never. I never saw. Yeah, I, I never saw a link to it. I did. Uh, so, courage or cringe? Show solidarity for our fellow officers uh, just doing uh, their job, or another example of police protecting their own and trying to avoid accountability. So I'm going to go with cringe on this one. Um, 
I did see the video. Well, there's a couple things that I don't know, but I still net out on cringe mm -hmm. in terms of this entire battalion or whatever resigning on the basis of the conviction. Not um, conviction. It's just a... Sorry, indictment. 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 Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I believe there will be some conviction or whatever on this after what I saw. But um, the one thing I don't know is the, the stated reason why this group said what they why they resigned. In other words, are they saying... We believe this guy is innocent. We believe filing any charge against anyone in the context of 150 days of getting basically thrown bottles at and spit on yeah. or whatever is stupid. Like, what's the reason? Is it the, the straw that broke the camel's back? Is mm -hmm. What is the actual reason? I don't know that it would change my decision, but I don't know what they're saying the decision is. Well, it, I mean, there it be, it's certain different levels of cringe. If the, if the thing is, no matter what we ever do, no one could get indicted for anything, that's probably one that I think they will have a hard time justifying. My guess is more in the context of the second, your latter, which is probably a combination of both. We, don't, we think he's innocent and... In the context of us getting like going give through this shitstorm, yeah, like give come us a on, break. guys, like give us a, yeah. a break because this is really hard to do. So and I, all of, I, th I think mm -hmm. it ha if you're gonna try to just put any kind of justification, it has to be the latter. And, and I, okay, so then now with that in mind, um, the the thing that is important here, and it's a principle we talked about in the earlier courage or cringe, is to remember that we're not talking about generalities when we talk about individuals, and we're mm -hmm. talking about an individual here. Do I believe that this woman was interfering with the police on the base of the video that I saw? Yeah, I do. I do. Mm -hmm. But I also saw a guy who was, I don't know, six two three four something like that, easily 220, maybe bigger, big dude, right? Wearing full, like, battalion mm -hmm. gear. Take her and basically knock her down on the ground, which I would have actually been okay with on the basis of the video that I saw because she was interfering with the action. But when she was down, sitting on the ground, completely out of the equation— like, just there. Mm -hmm. I'm sure she was yelling stuff, whatever. But I'm telling you, what I saw was a video of a guy who was just pissed and just wanted to just hit this woman one good time to shut her the hell up. And that's what he did. He took his billy club and he smashed her head, like, as she's sitting on, the, oh, on her butt, yeah. right? So that thing, and it's literally one second, Jesus. If you watch the video, it's like one additional yeah. second. That's what we're talking about. And that didn't happen in a generality. And that didn't happen with a bunch of people who've been under what for 150 years. That happened, or 150 days. days yeah. That happened between that guy and that woman. And that's wrong what happened there. It's right. wrong. Right. Okay. And so resigning, it is a show of solidarity, but to what end? Because what to me it would be, it would be saying something on the lines of, you know, that's wrong what happened. But we need more support, resources, understanding, whatever, given all these contexts, et cetera, help us to do that. And maybe we're going to resign until we get those things. Okay, well, that's a different thing. Right. But if it's just resign because this guy got indicted for something, for that thing, not for something, for that thing, then it's a cringe for me. Yeah, I, I, I did not see the video. Um, and, and frankly, you know, I think to your point, with everything you described about the video, it makes it really hard to to say anything other than cringe. I was already cringe on this and before even the video. But because I think even if it was justified, the challenge with justifying a hitting her in any way whatsoever, the challenge that I see with the immediate resigning of everyone on something that's an indictment, which is not a conviction, it means it really you're putting yourself in a situation that even the question when 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 force gets literally questioned that as a, as a police unit, you're out already. Like even being questioned on it, even yeah. being taken to trial, which really should be the right process, right? It shouldn't be just like, 
just accused and that's it and you're guilty or, or, or you're innocent. Like the reason why people get indicted is that so you can actually have a trial and yeah. figure it out. Yeah. Even the, 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 mere, the mere mention of the fact that he's going to get tried, the entire g- group, you know, resigns as a show of solidarity. I think, unfortunately, it re- makes it look exactly what we said, right? It's an example, it looks like another example of poti- police protecting their own. And wanting on. to avoid all accountability at any given moment. And I think the fact that it also are all still in in the in the police force also so like there is no actual, there is no uh, um, penalty for this. There is no punishment for that for these folks acting this way. And it's just, I think it further undermines any kind of trust that there may be with police uh, in that community. And and when we when we think about the root cause of all this that we're talking about civil unrest was all based on people feeling that that there is uh, police brutality. And the second that there is even an attempt to try to course correct, bring someone to make them accountable, is like the police are going to be like, nope, then we're out. Right. And you're also in a way and kind that's of- just like- There were thousands of people arrested, right? So sure. it's like in a way, if you said, hey, well, we never got a chance to arrest anybody. Nobody was ever tried or convicted on the in the protester side or whatever. And we're just, you know, that wouldn't justify it either. But yeah, at yeah, least you sure. could better understand it. Yeah. But that's not the case. But that's not the case, yeah. I could definitely see people sitting around- and look, like I've said before on this show, you know, I've got a lot of, 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 you know, firefighter police types in my family and, you know, blue collar types in my family. And I, I can hear the conversation. Sure. The conversation is like, give me a break. We've been at this for 150, whatever. I had some guy throw a dumpster at me and set me on fire and all this other stuff. And here I kind of put my baton on this lady a little bit after she jumps on my back and yells me, he calls me a fascist. And right. I can totally see it. But at the end of the day, the breakdown is of that moment, of that moment. So you should watch the video. Yeah, it's of that moment and what this person did. And just based on what I saw, again, everybody just bailing because this guy got indicted is the wrong move. So it's a yeah, cringe. Yeah. Cool. Okay. All right. Um, our last courage or cringe, another, another good one. Scientists says some colleagues were hesitant to legitimize lab leak theory out of fear they would be associated with Trump. Wow. What, a, what a great, ultimate, what a great ultimate, one, right? Ultimate PR nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. I thought it was a I really I can see interesting... this conversation too, by the way. Yeah, 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 yeah. for sure. As reported by the National Review, uh, Alina Chan, a scientist that recently endorsed the possibility that COVID-19 originated in the Wuhan lab. And by the way, this is actually, even that statement is, in, is not entirely correct. She's a, apparently endorsed it since last year, okay? So she just recently came out again, uh, has said that some of her colleagues were hesitant to support the, his theory, this theory in fear they would be associated with President Trump. Now, last that month... That seems like a very real uh, For sure it does. Yeah, yeah, it seems extremely real, mm-hmm. right? So last month, Chan and 18 fellow scientists published a letter in the journal Science demanding a thorough inquiry into the virus origin, including the possibility that the virus leaked from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. There was a moment where this thing became a story when the then Secretary of State, Pompeo, talked about it. It kind of legitimized it for a second. It was, first of all, it was introduced. It was like conspiracy yeah. theory, nut job. Then he came out and talked about it. It kind of got legitimate again. Then it became nut job again. And now yeah. it's kind of legitimate yeah, yeah, again. Yeah. 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 And there's so much to talk about in that, in that process, right? Now, this document in what is, an, uh, one in part has relaunched this renewed uh, interest in exploring the origins of the virus. And has many more people thinking that the origins were indeed from the lab, right, rather than the bad theory that was published, that was pushed by both the Chinese government and in many in the actual scientific community, and picked up by, frankly, by, by, by media, right? Uh, now, Chan was one of the early proponents of the lab theory and published a paper in May of 2020, 
where she so over a year ago, where she alleged her colleagues that the disease challenge well challenge. I'm sorry that yeah. her college that the disease had originated had original uh, originated in animals, right? So she which was is that's, not, that's the big that's the bat theory. The one correct. That, yeah. Um, okay. Now according to her, the scientific evidence had hasn't actually changed much this past year. However, the context and circumstances of the origin debate have changed. And the context here really primarily that President Trump is no longer in office. It's a right? big context. Now, Chan told NBC that some scientists uh, had apprehensions about publicly discussing the lab leak possibility out of concern that their statements will be manipulated to suggest they were endorsing racist language about COVID origins in China, uh, which was obviously a, a, a clear reference to Trump's use of, of the phrase Wuhan virus or the, or the Kung Fu virus, which is another thing that he called mm-hmm. it, right? Now, she said, at the time, it was scarier to be associated with Trump and to become a tool for racist, for racist. so people didn't want to publicly call for an investigation into lab origins. Now, there were also those that helped keep the lab leak theory suppressed, which such as uh, president of the research nonprofit EcoHealth Alliance, Peter Daszak, who helped funnel millions into NIH money into the Wuhan lab to fund research for, of, of bad coronaviruses, uh, organized a statement published in the man- medical journal The Lancet in March 2020 calling the possibility of a lab leak a conspiracy theory. So I this is where you saw, but I we saw some of that shift, right? I don't remember when the first time was that I heard about it referenced as a conspiracy theory, but it, it seemed odd to me that, that that it got pegged that way because I thought, well, maybe it could just be wrong. Maybe it's just not the right theory. But why is it a... Right. What makes it conspiratorial? Is it just because it seems like... It's cooked up in a lab, uh, yeah. like the well, chat. I think you know part what I mean? of it is, I mean, it, it all goes back to the same thing. It has to be, it's Trump, mm-hmm. right? And I think part of it is the the the, the boy cry wolf, you know, right. s- situation. Look, when you think about the early days um, of what was happening with 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 COVID, and especially the way that President Trump was was handling it, initially it was like, oh, it's nothing to worry about. It we're gonna be fine. Don't mess with the economy. Yeah, don't mess with the economy. And he was so focused on the ma- ma- missing the economy. The second that they got out of hand, it was like, oh, it's all China's fault. You see, like they did that. So I, I shut down flights from China, like the Chinese virus, and he kept on doubling down, doubling down. And I think for a lot of people, me included, it's just so hard to... Remember I telling you, like, I have to read his statements. I can't hear him because right. literally his voice, right. like, irritates me, irritates me. And I think it's that. It's like, it's just that he poisoned the well so much with all this rhetoric, with all this, like, trying to deflect, don't put any blame on me. It's not my fault. It's them. They, that all of it got roped into this, like, crap of, of lo- like, little crap. And I could totally see scientists being like, man, I think the, I think it did come from a lab. Fuck, like, who are you going to say something? Like, I don't want to say anything. Like, I don't want to be associated with that dude who's talking about putting, you know, a sure. bleach in, inside of you or a light inside. Like, I don't want to be tied to that guy. Right. You see what I'm saying? Like, of course. I, I, so, like, I, I But there's a it's lot. so, but like, know, the, the, rational. It, that people will exactly. Be, but there's a lot of rationalization that we can do to bad behavior. We can all, For sure. So, I mean, it's yeah. just, a, it's just it, look. Even Dr. Fauci has admitted now to contemplating discussing the possible lab leak theory as early as February of 2020, right? Is that an admission or is that because it came out in his emails? Well, it came in his email and then he admitted it after it came out. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, frankly, I don't know. Yeah. But, but I, think, oh, yeah. I, actually, I think that's what it oh, is. Yeah. I did say that. Now, he said to USA Today, we decided on the call, to call we decided on, on the call, the situation really needed to be looked into carefully, right? Mm-hmm. Now, there was a teleconference, was a very productive back and forth conversation where some on the call felt it could, be, it could possibly be an engineered virus. I always had an open mind toward the lab leak theory, even though I felt then and still do that most like origin, most likely origin was an animal host. Um, by the way, then of course the whole controversy of like does Dr. Fauci have any other incentives here? Because the other controversy that has been out there now, pretty recently, is about whether or not he's provided funding, both directly or indirectly, 
to gain a function research, which is a research that they're specifically are looking at potentially being the cause of the of the leak, uh, and specifically within that Wuhan lab, right? So that's so even like some of his comments, I know he's gotten a lot of a lot of heat recently, and some of them very deservedly so. But you can totally see this being the case where people were just scared to be associated. So look, at the end of the day, courage or cringe? Scientists folding to social pressure or one more example of the damage that President Trump caused by politicizing the pandemic? But the but the courage or cringe is on her basically outing her colleagues? Yeah, I guess it really is a her outing the colleagues or okay. her like, yeah. Yeah, or maybe like, yeah, her outing her colleagues and not maybe being more public about that that part of the, of the you know, the fact that there was more people that were being... Mm, you go. It's it's a look. I think there's so much of this. This is a hard. It's, I even thought it was yeah. a hard one to put as courage or cringe. Yeah. Uh, look, I would say to me, just overall courageous on on Alina Chan, the scientist who even a year ago was already like I guess you know based on the paper that she published was already saying that hey this thing looks like it probably came from from this from this lab leak, and at least it sounds like she did not change her position, you know before so. Could she have been more proactive and getting it out there and saying that, hey, or encouraging or, or even calling out some of her fellow scientists for not speaking up? Uh, yeah, but at, but at, this, at the same time, you know, you can control your own actions. And the fact, that the fact that she was public about it, I think that part is courageous and it's not like she's been consistent. Now with, um, you know, obviously Trump not being longer in office, it changes the, the dynamic. But it is, I mean, the whole thing is so, so interesting. It's like, how do you politicize something and just completely mess it up? And mm-hmm. across the board, I think at this point, the thing that I find really interesting is the further we get along from all this happening, the more you're going to see uh, where all the blame, where all the mess ups were that going to they're going to cut across both parties. Yeah, and I think it's it's been really easy to some extent to just throw it out, blame it all on Trump. But even in his rants and racism, because you can still be racist and still be right. Like, mm-hmm. those two are not saying mutually exclusive. Yeah, and right? that may be and the part like, that these guys missed. Yeah, and I think within all of that, there was something he was saying that should have been taken more seriously. I do think is that a lot of just poisoning the well that made it really, really hard that even if he may be right to want to agree with them, uh, but it doesn't justify these other scientists who really should have lived up to like, hey, if we really believe in science, then we have to be, we have to believe in science all the time, not just some of the time. That's right. In season, out of season. And right. that's how I feel too. There's a couple things that come to mind for me. One of them is kind of, it's a bit of a sheeple kind of move. You know what I mean? To like, oh yeah, we don't want to go uh, talk about this stuff because uh, somebody may think poorly of us. Um, and also the fact that, um, you know, truth is not diminished by somebody who, you know, m- maybe, you know, ha- has other significant issues associating with it. Like it doesn't <laughs> right. diminish it. Yeah. Right. And so you have to stand for that. And also there's a question of like, you know, as a scientist and as a medical professional, you take, if not explicitly, implicitly certain oaths and responsibilities that you bring to the equation, right, about maintaining people's health and being a you know, ambassador to people and helping to communicate complex things that the average person doesn't understand. And so maybe you have an added responsibility to go out there. And also the fact that we know how to frame things and we know how to say things. And I get the association, but man, I like, you know, spend an hour with any PR person and they would have said, here's how to actually go about saying this and be able to have your cake and eat it too. How about this? Don't tweet it. Yeah. Put, out, put out a paper. Put out a paper in JAMA. Go, yeah. go, go, go on a podcast and talk about it go for an hour a, and a half. Exactly. Like, so that you get all of your points. You may still get like roped into the headline sure. of that, but there is, to your point, ways to avoid that yeah. so that at least you're very clear about where your position is. 
Right. Um, and But these guys didn't choose that. It seems like they just kind of hid and waited for a, a transition before they kind of got behind some of this. And this right. woman has been talking about this. I don't like outing people in general. And maybe that's not wasn't her intent. It was just that she was, you know, kind of uh, maybe the timing of all of this and her saying, look, I've been p- talking about this for a while, but people had some concerns about it. And yeah. I never did. So it's kind of a quasi outing. I totally see that. I mean, I mean, when you read that, you're like, yeah. Oh. 100%. Totally see that. Uh, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm courage too on this one. Um, I think that there's a higher responsibility to, um, you know, com- convey information, especially at a time when there's confusion. And mm-hmm. double especially is something that can be very legitimate is now being wrapped in as a conspiracy theory. That's even, that even adds urgency to the situation right. because not only is it possible, it's plausible. I'm sorry, not only is it, is it, is it, is it possible and plausible, it may be in this case likely and we're kind of, you know, dealing with it as this kind of fringe theory. I think it makes the urgency of coming out and saying that even more so. So, well, and, yeah. and, and especially if you think about the implications of actually knowing that, right? Because, it, yeah, look, I'm glad we're, we've done all these things this this past year with the vaccine, and everything to try to get a you know your hands around it. But if you don't really get to the root cause of why this happened, then the likelihood of it happening again are, are pretty high. You know, especially if something's coming from an actual lab. So, it, it, I think it does merit spending a lot of time really understanding if it happened why it happened. And look, I'm not in the camp and I've heard of some people like really go after this gain of function theory or research, right? Which is the whole idea of like taking current viruses and then almost like leveling them up to see like the worst version of them to figure out how to be able to combat so them. So it's a movie plot. It does. It does sound like a movie plot, but at the same time, I could understand how that could be a very practical way, a good way to get ahead of some of these things, to be able to, so that if something does happen, I already have a lot of research done that helps you accelerate yeah, the vaccine so to market. It's a variation so, of what we talked so about I, in the UFO so show get it, about right? breaking so I, down technology. I get there's, there's some of that, and I, and, and I think it's good, but I'm not in a camp of like, that should always or just be completely yeah. shut down. But it does matter if that's the way that it broke out. Mm-hmm. Then like it's like, you know, you really got to understand how do you avoid that? Yeah. Well, um, I guess we agree then. We'll close the yeah. show with uh, with an agreement. Um, cool. So, so two for three. Two for three. All right. That, not bad. Not bad. Anything else? No. That's it? That's it. All right. We're good. All right, folks. So remember to subscribe to go to patreon.com backslash the diversity remix. Um, get in touch. Let us know how we're doing. But most of all, share the show and get other folks to listen to it. We really appreciate it in advance. We'll see you again next time on another episode of TDR. If you enjoyed this episode of the Diversity Remix, please remember, first of all, to subscribe and help us to spread the word. Tell your friends, family, coworkers, and give us a five-star review. We're available on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you get your listening fix. And lastly, please remember to stop by blackbrown.us, the creator of this podcast, and take a look at our work and our approach at the intersection of diversity and business. The Diversity Remix is produced by Leo Gomez, with production services by Jose Manuel Durquidi and Luis Diego Carranza, and our friends at Juan Diego Network. The Diversity Remix is a production of Black Brown. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.
You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee.